Culture and Psychology with Tabana. A very warm hello to our Radio Bombdad listeners. Uh, this is Saide Malik Afsali speaking. I'm sitting with my colleagues and friends, Dr. Daniel Rockers and Dr. Alexander Roddy from Tavana Organization. Uh, our program is Cultures and Psychology, and on Saturday and Sundays at 12 to 1, we um, conversed regarding current events, regarding cultural and psychological issues, and we appreciate if there are uh, people that you know and they, you know they benefit from our program, invite them to listen to our program on Saturdays and Sundays. Today, uh, we are talking about uh, empathy and the difference between sympathy and empathy and how we can actually spread this in our life uh, in different ways. And we want to converse about this important piece of, uh, you know, um, emotions and, and behavior, and it just covers so many things. Yeah, I think like this is Dr. Alex Andrade. Thank you, Dr. Saideh Malakavsali. And uh, we got Dr. Daniel Rockers here too, uh, a creative psychologist. And so we're going to definitely hear, I think, a, a lot about empathy and sympathy and emotions. I, I think it's I wanted to go back for a second to you as you were introducing the show, reminding listeners too that you can listen to past episodes uh, through our website, uh, Um, So you can like scroll and peruse any number of topics that we've talked about um, and kind of listen to those, share. Sometimes uh, we can know that somebody's going through something and maybe hearing. Uh, a specific topic could be of help to them. So definitely feel free to pass that along and share that with others. Uh, so that way too, if you're like, I don't want to see what they're going to talk about. I want to know what's going to be talked about. You know, you can kind of look at the uh, the website and the podcast in those ways. So definitely encourage people to do that. So again, even with that, you know, empathizing and feeling you know, what others might feel or what might benefit them. Uh, I think in that idea of empathy, it's, it's a tough one. I think a lot of times... Uh, people will start with this idea of sympathy and then have to adapt or, or learn or understand a little bit more what empathy is. And so for me, it's always helpful to first kind of define some things and maybe each of us can share maybe a, a piece of the definition. I'm sure it can be defined in numerous ways, but starting with the idea of sympathy, I always think of that as like feeling bad for somebody. And for me, it's tricky because it, it can almost be like we pity them or we, we kind of look down on them and we don't mean to, but it's just like, oh, that's sad or sorry for them in a way where to empathize, it's really kind of feeling that emotional connection with somebody without the judgment of like they're bad or it's like sad or flawed in that way. Like, oh man, look at them they're you know, that's too bad for them. That's unfortunate. Uh, where empathy, we can connect with them and what they're feeling and going through in a way of wanting to, to nurture and support them a little bit more rather than just, I feel like sympathy can be dismissive, like, oh, I feel bad for you. And then you go on living your life where empathy really allows you to emotionally connect. I always say like empathy is an important part of the work that we do as psychologists. We need to be able to empathize, feel emotionally connected and understand uh, to some degree what a person might be going through so that we can be emotionally invested in trying to help and understand that person. Uh, so that for me is kind of how I would define empathy and, and kind of uh, conversely sympathy. Um, what about for the two of you? What stands out about those two terms? I think there are different types of empathy. Um, one of them I was just thinking is cognitive empathy, um, which means basically in my mind, I'm thinking understanding um, others' perceptions. Um, and that happens by conversing and realizing what other person perceives things so we can understand it. The other one is emotional empathy, which is, um, you know, um, physically feeling what another person feels. Um, and, and that means a deep connecting yourself with the other person or others. And another one is, um, you know, empathetic concerns, like, uh, you sense another um, people's who need you, you know, you sense it. And the other thing I was going to say is um, 
you know, deeply um, uh, understanding this sense of uh, other people's emotions. So when they talk to you, you put yourselves into their shoes. You immediately feel like if this has happened to me or my child or, or someone so close to me, how would I have felt? Obviously, it's not exact, but you just kind of feel the importance of that emotions within another person. That's how I see it. I think of empathy as feeling with another person and sympathy is feeling for them. I think of empath and empath is somebody we think of who can feel our feelings, the same feelings we're feeling, Mm -hmm. whereas sympathy, we feel for somebody. There's always a joke. Uh, I remember when I was always um, working with teachers and in during a staff development, especially when we had new teachers and we had training sessions for them. One of the clips um, we were showing them was, um, you know, in regard to uh, working with children and your students, you need to have empathy. You need to work with their parents, with the family. It's not just the child, it's, it's a child as a whole. And we would just train them um, on the psychological and emotional part. And there was a clip that we always showed, which made everybody laugh. And I remember the empathy part was somebody was down in the basement and um, the other person um, would come up uh, and look down at the person in the basement and say, "Uh, how are you doing? Do you want a hamburger? Do you want me to cook? (laughs) And everybody laughed. And then it came to uh, you know, empathy. And that was a different, the, the person would come down to basement, sit by that person and start talking to that person. And that was very, um, you know, telling them in surface what we meant by these two. And of course it made them laugh at first, but it's really that, you know, because sometimes at the very surface level, you sit by the person or you work with the person, even as a psychologist, and um, you talk to them. But then sometimes you really go down with them. You really sit in that level with them. And that's what we mean by empathy. And I guess that could include or not include a hamburger, it sounds like as well. <laughs> you mean yes. if they feel like a hamburger? <laughs> I'm just letting you both know if you guys ever offer me a hamburger, I know you're my true friends. And so uh, <laughs> you like hamburgers. I'm trying to feel what you're feeling right now. <laughs> I'm feeling I, like I a hamburger. That's what I'm feeling like. I'm, like. I'm kind of feeling like a hamburger too. All right. Here's the question for the two of you. Um, Carl Rogers, very well known in our field for dealing with emotions and connecting with people. Do you think Carl Rogers was more of an empath or a sympath? Or was he more empathic or sympathetic to people? I think why did you say it? I feel like he was empathetic because he was the creator of the humanistic um, part of uh, psychology. He was one of the well-known humanistic theorists. And he put the uh, patient in the center. And and validation, I think, is part of what he believed in, that whatever you are going through, he validated. And I think when you validate someone who is going through something, that means you really are getting into cognitive um, understanding and and cognitive, actually, um, empathy. So... I personally, from what I know from Carl Rogers, I think he was empathetic. Alex, what do you take? I'm going to answer this a little differently. I'm going to take the opposite and and maybe try to breathe some life into that as far as why maybe it looks more like sympathy. In watching, uh, and you could probably go on YouTube and see some of his um, uh, interviews that he did with, um, they're like mock therapy sessions. And in watching the mock therapy sessions, uh, as I have in the past, I remember the feeling of it being more like sympathy than empathy. And what I mean by that is there's the criticism over the years or, or maybe the, the comment that his approach to therapy is more like parroting what the person is going to say. I think he eventually gets to kind of this 
kind of emotional processing kind of later towards the ends of the sessions from what I've seen and what I remember. But I remember that feeling of it, it, I mean, almost verbatim being repeating what the person was saying. And so it, it, to me, it always seemed like he was kind of like talking, you know, talking to the person in a way where I was struggling to hear his emotional connection in that way. And maybe he just came off as very stoic. I'm not sure. But I remember feeling like I was like, this guy is just repeating what they're saying. And I know, again, that's that's one of the, the harsh criticisms of that approach. Um, and I think for a lot of therapists is not the case necessarily. But yeah, I think if it's done if empathy is given in a way where it's like, I'm just hearing what you're saying, it can come off as sympathy. And, and so it being judged and maybe being looked down at, like you said, I mentioned in the basement kind of analogy in that way, then really kind of feeling like we're on the same page. Uh, I think like there are physical cues that are really important in um, allowing somebody to feel like you're really empathizing with them. Uh, you know, vocal cues, even our tone. Uh, I know for myself, when I've talked with people, I've even found myself like, like body positioning, like lowering myself, like softening my voice. And we're kind of talking uh, uh, kind of a little closely, closely in that way um, when talking about big or like heavy emotions. And so uh, I could see why sympathy might be uh, something that people would say about the Rogerian approach and even Carl Rogers himself. Alex, I think uh, when you are in reality, um, let's say Carl Rogers, I'm not defending. I'm just saying. Um, you could defend him. You can defend him. I can take it. I, can take I, I it. think you're defending him, but going. <laughs> no, you know what? Let's say if I am working with a patient and I know they're videotaping, all of a sudden I lose that um, being real. And then you are uh, distracted by the person who is taking video. I want to, you know, really say that sometimes even I can be very, very empathetic. But as soon as I know they're videotaping me, I'm not going to be the same person. You know what I mean? When you are sitting sincerely with a person without someone videotaping you, your body language may be different. You lean forward, as you said, um, you know, as um, Dr. Yalom always says, it's okay. I mean, at that time, especially when Dr. Yalom was working with patients, he would hold their hands. He would touch them. And he always says there is an amazing effect emotionally when you touch uh, your patient, you hold their hands and they just feel like you're there for them. They trust you. And unfortunately, nowadays, there's so many issues that a psychologist, a teacher's you know, I've experienced both and I can talk about both. I sometimes loved to hug my um, female or male um, students to hold them tight and say, I'm here for you. But unfortunately, because of all these stuff that we go through, you can't do that as a psychologist or you can't do that as a teacher. But I'm just saying, you know, especially when you know that the video is taking every action you have, it just makes a difference. I think you've opened a can of worms now. I don't know if we should go down this road, but I'm, I'm very tempted to. And again, I don't know if this is too off topic in that way. You're but, already but doing it. I know, I know. And so <laughs> you just introduced it. Keep going. I did. Yeah. Well, Saide started it. So uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Blame it no, on me. But no, yeah. It, I mean, it's a part of empathy, you know, and sympathy, I think, you know, that 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 physical aspect of it too. And, and maybe, let's see, how can I tread this safely without maybe specifically related to our field in that way. I think it is something that can really uh, express beyond words sometimes what that is. I think it can be in any relationship. I think it can be uh, used in a way that could be problematic or self-serving. Uh, for example, touch. yeah, touch. Yes. Thanks. Yeah. Touch. Okay. Um, for example, you know, if a good friend of ours is upset um, you know, it's a classic, you know, movie scene too. the, uh, male and female friends, uh, the female or male is upset. One person hugs, the next person starts kissing. I think it's, it's indicative of that emotional vulnerability 
that sometimes is wanting more and sometimes is, is confused as intimacy or connectedness. And so I think it's one of those things where to empathize with the person and feel connected, it can be one of, it can be very reminiscent of a romantic relationship. So a lot of times I think people can feel soothed and supported and nourished by that versus kind of recognizing it doesn't have to transcend or become that. Uh, it may not be that even necessarily. It just may be in that place of wanting to feel connected, wanting to feel understood, uh, that people can inadvertently kind of um, uh, mistake that for intimacy or, or you know romance or something like that. Well, that's exactly one of the cases Dr. Yolam talks about. And that's a psychologist. Well, he actually gets a patient who comes to him because he, she is involved with another psychologist. And what happens is that that person, because of being so vulnerable, uh, gets more involved with the psychologist she's working with. He get, she gets to a point that she needs to come and see Dr. Yalom to um, actually basically work with her so she can understand where she is in life. So exactly what you said, Alex, it's so important to realize the vulnerability of people um, at, at certain point, because it goes, it may go to different direction all of a sudden. Um, we are at our first break. And um, I just want to say some words in Farsi for our listeners uh, who are Farsi speakers. شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد اگر صدای ما رو از رادیو بامداد به زبان انگلیسی میشنوین ما روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه از ساعت 12 تا یک بعد از ظهر در برنامه کالچر اند سایکولوژی با دکتر دنیل راکرز و دکتر الکساندرادی هستیم برنامه ما هر هفته روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه است و در مورد مسائل مختلف روانشناسی و فرهنگی صحبت میکنیم و مسائل روز خواهش میکنم اگر کسانی در منزل هستند که علاقه من هستند برنامه های روانشناسی رو به زبان انگلیسی گوش کنند دعوت کنین ازشون که به برنامه ما توجه کنند ما تا کنون داشتیم راجب حس همدردی صحبت می کردیم و برمیگردیم دنبال صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم. with Dr. Daniel Rockers and Dr. Alexandrade. Uh, this is Saide Malik Afsali speaking. We are in a psychology and culture program with um, three of us from Tavana organization. Tavana is a nonprofit organization supporting individuals in needs of psychological issues. And we always bring culture into our work because we believe uh, cultural background um, are very, very important in dealing with individuals. We are back and we are talking about uh, empathy and what is the difference between sympathy and empathy. I want to um, ask you, Dr. Rockers, you asked me and um, Dr. Andrade about what do we think about Carl Rogers. I want to know what you think about his style or his theory and what you think about that between sympathy and empathy. I think the deceiving part for on Carl Rogers is that it he was so it's such a simple concept. And I was the reason I asked the question is because I thought, well, his goal was to have an empathic understanding of the client. 
Yet at the same time, he had to communicate to them his that he understood where they were. And I think the key for me in the whole thing is being able to help the other person feel understood. That's the bottom line in all of that. So whether one calls that empathy or sympathy, I think can be an academic debate, but I think in order to effectively convey that in the best possible way, you have to put yourself in their shoes and say, well, how would that feel if I lost my father in a car wreck like that? Or how would that feel if my best friend stole my wife in that way? Or how would I feel? And to the extent that the the therapist can get close to that, then they can communicate what that must feel like. That's my take on it. I think it's an empathic understanding and that we want to put ourselves in that place. I'm not saying other ways are wrong. I'm just saying this is my understanding of Carl Rogers. And I think it's an extremely effective technique and it's deceptive because it is often so simple in terms of, well, I just want to communicate to the person they're understood. If all we do is just parrot stuff back, like what you were seeing, Alex, I don't think that's very helpful because people just hear that as parroting back or mocking. I've seen some or read or heard some video clips on the the downside of Carl Rogers therapy technique. And you may have seen it too, where the therapist walks out in the hallway and they see somebody else's patient is looking for the restroom. And the, the client, the person says, well, where's the restroom? And the therapist says, oh, well, you must feel like you want to find the restroom. And it just keeps going like that. And the guy's like, I just want to know where the restroom is. <laughs> well, it's so interesting what you're saying, Dan. This can apply to many things. You know what I mean? Um, being an educator and being a lifeline long learner, I always took classes. I always, you know, went to different schools. I, I mean, and, and my recollection of all of this always was that, you know, you go to conferences, you learn this, you learn that, but you realize that the most important pieces, as you said, they're simple things that we do, but there's some people who are smart as theories, they put that into words and they have a meaning for it. And then I remember with uh, teaching theories, with teaching modalities, with all of this, you go all of a sudden, they say there's a new thing um, in teaching world, in educational lives, somebody has created this, and then you read about it. And because you're experienced, you look at that and you go, oh my gosh, this is like, um, you know, so-and-so who created this in 60s. And now we are in 2021, we're talking about same things, but they change the wordings, they put it into different contexts or into different framing. So same with psychology, you know, basically I was uh, actually studying the family um, structure therapy or just, you know, now the family therapy is becoming a big thing, you know, with a lot of things going on. And as I was, you know, going through different theories in family therapy, I noticed that most of them are saying pretty much the same thing, you know, except the wordings are different, you know, and, and what you're saying is, is we sometimes learn things, we can't apply exactly what they meant, or we can't put everything together to realize we are two human beings sitting together. I am a psychologist, you're a patient, but, you know, what I'm doing here is I'm um, basically doing something very simple, as you said, understanding what you go through. And then with my knowledge, of course, and experience, maybe I can say something and do something or create some plans for you that you never thought of, or, or because you're so much drawn into your situation, you can't even think of. But we know as psychologists, basically, everything that comes out as um, supporting tools, or um, cognitive behavioral tools, they're mainly in, in the patient, in them, but because they're drawn into their situation, they can help themselves. That's why they come to us. 
I think along those lines, one of the ideas that's kind of been rolling my around around in my brain, this conversation has been empathy, both expressed outwardly towards others, as well as towards ourself. And I think that's one of the things that people can learn or, or one of the skills that they can develop through the therapeutic process is the skill of like self-compassion, um, and which is, I think, empathy turned inwards. And I find a lot of times people can come to treatment and I, I often identify them as kind of caretakers where they can be empathetic with others a lot more and, and readily uh, than they can with themselves. And so it can be a real struggle sometimes where even people will come and feel set, like as though therapy is selfish and, and, and takes away from others in their life where understanding and learning and developing this idea of self-compassion can be the balance that comes with that empathy for others in a way that serves both themselves and other people. Um, so yeah, I, I guess uh, on, on that note, I was wondering, like, for from your guys's perspective, do you feel as though empathy as you know, self compassion connects with empathy? Do you feel like that's something that uh, really can come through in the therapeutic process or something that's helpful for individuals? What's your take? I think we can ask the. It is not intuitive, but we can often ask the question, how do I feel? And that's empathy towards turned inwards. And often people do not know how they feel. This is part of the therapeutic, excuse me, therapeutic process, figuring out how I feel, clarifying what my feelings are. So I think it is a very important thing to ask and also to pursue. If we do not know how we feel, then we are probably subject to being ruled by some unconscious feelings. In oh, wow. Interesting. I have to think about this deeper about myself. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, I, this conversation took me back from beginning of the time I became a teacher. And I remember uh, one of the, uh, you know, one of the theories was, just saying, you know, to get to know your students, you have to always know what they like, what they don't like. So I remember at one point I thought, oh, okay, I can ask this question from my students. So I said, okay, write about five things you like and five things you don't like. And then that honestly made me myself think. I had never thought about what I like and what I don't like in a list of five things, you know? So I thought, that is very interesting. With simple things, we never even think about ourselves. So while the students were writing about this, I started thinking and I had a hard time to get to five things, you know, and some of the students said, hey, Mrs. M, I can only do two. I said, okay, that's good enough because I can't even go more said, than The assignment <laughs> is for five. Do what you're supposed to, huh? even though I can't do it, huh? <laughs> No, so now that you're saying, ask this question, how I feel, sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes things that, um, you know, are simple, are day-to-day life. We don't think about it and we don't ask those questions from ourselves. I wonder if it relates to that idea of self-compassion. Like, can we give that to ourselves? Can we say... I can own that. I can own that about myself. I can say that I like that, even if it's like, I'm not good at that. For example, like myself, I could say, I like to play pool and, you know, billiards and I'm not great at it, you know, but I, but I like it. And and is that okay for me to own it in that way? While I know that I'm not, you know, great at it. It's not something that I can say is, you know, oh yeah, I'm the best at this thing, you know, to have, I think both feelings of enjoyment and satisfaction from it, but then also a little, you know, uh, reality of, you know, not being perfect at it and and even being valuable in some ways. And I think that's where it gets uncomfortable for people to say like, what are those things that you like? What are those things that you can own? It's like, oh, well, I like, you know, drawing and it's like, okay, well, are you really good at it? It's like, well, I mean, I'm okay. And it's like, okay, well then you can't, you can't really own that. You can't really say you like that if you're not good at it. So I think we do that to ourselves sometimes. And so to think of what, what are five things that I like, it's also a bigger question of what are five things that I'm good at five things that I can, uh, you know, proudly and honestly kind of say I do better than others. Cause I think we're comparing and contrasting 
with other people and even just those types of simple questions. What are five things I like? Uh, what are five things I'm good at even? Are you, Alex, are you saying that five things I like is the same or different than five things I'm good at? Are you saying they have to be the same or you're saying they don't have to be the same? I'm saying they don't have to be, but I think that's what people do. I think because we're, we're, we're projecting it outward. We're, we're being asked the question. And so anything we present can feel like it may be scrutinized or judged or examined in a way. And so what are those five things you like becomes not are those things that I can just say for myself, but knowing that's going to be projected into the world and can be examined and, and, you know, people might, you know, question me about. So I think that's where it starts to fall apart for a lot of people. It's like, what are five things I like? I can say five things I've done or five things I may be interested in, but then the, the insecurity and that that lack of self compassion for ourselves too even sometimes starts to creep in. I think. And, oh yeah, and, I, wonder, yeah. I wonder where that all comes from. It's a very interesting. It's a confusing mix. Yeah. We should be able to say, "Wow, I really like doing X," whether we're that good at it or not. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. But then. The other way I see it is because things that are sort of our hobbies already and we are doing and maybe not necessarily being that good at it, but we already are doing, we're playing piano, we are painting, we're doing different things. So when someone asks, what do you like to do? Those are things that gives us pleasure to not only we are doing, we are actually liking it too. That's possible. But the other thing is, uh, sometimes I, I do that with the patients. I ask, uh, what gives you real pleasure by doing some of the hobbies that you have or you want to have? And then they start thinking. They start thinking and they go, I always wanted to play piano, but I think I'm too old for that. Uh, and they sometimes say, uh, you know, don't expect to uh, teach an old dog uh, new tricks, but then I always talk about that to them, that there's nothing uh, you can really say for sure is too late. It's never too late. Even when you think about the memory that we think when you get older, you lose your uh, part of your memory. Yes, it is true that 2% of your memory when you get older, they may be, you know, or, or neurons may be, uh, they're destroyed. But you still have so many other neurons that are working and, and rebuilding. But I mean, this fact that we tell ourselves I'm not good at it, or I'm old now, I don't even, mem- my memory is gone. That actually is not true. Because we know in psychology, people who have uh, more support, more psychological um, you know, encouragement, their memory even is working better. So I think it's uh, just maybe um, sort of s- having a good sense of understanding you may like something, which is nothing to do with whether you're good at it or not. But I think we have to always distinguish this when you are when we are asking. I'm, I'm asking what you like to do, because then you can encourage them. Okay, you can go after and learn it now rather than you don't have to be good at it, you know. But I think that question, if you, if, is a way of getting at whether or not people have empathy for themselves or compassion for themselves, right? If I conflate or mix up the, the idea that I have to be good at something in order to say I enjoy it, then I probably don't have very good compassion for myself. I'm probably, there's a pretty harsh critic going on inside mm-hmm. most of the time there. And the reality is no matter how good you are, you can always get a little better at something, you know, whether it's, that doesn't mean you're bad at it either though. Exactly. Exactly. Even the pros, they can all get better. No one shoots this perfect game of golf or the perfect game of pool or plays the piano better than anyone has ever played it in the world and better than anyone will ever play it. There's yeah. always a level. No one's the perfect gymnast. No one, it's, there's always something we can do better. Can we do it in such a way that we can feel good about ourselves and enjoy the challenge and like, yeah, that's cool. And wow, I'm really working on that. And that's fun to work on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking too, how boring that would be. Imagine if we played golf, Daniel, you and I, and we got a hole in one every shot. And, you know, we just, 
we just walked around. I mean, that would be so boring, you know, you versus yeah, versus being like, oh, I, I, you know, I hit it a little off and it went this way. And, you know, even that, you know, it, it creates, uh, you know, then th- that chaos, it can create some enjoyment and some pleasure in that way, it, you know, if it, versus if it was a perfect game. Yeah, you wouldn't want to play anymore. It would it would take away from the experience and the enjoyment of it almost. Such a good point. We are getting to the break, but now because I don't want to forget about what you're talking about, because um, I know uh, Daniel and you, Alex, you talked about golf and especially Daniel now is into golfing. So I was talking to my brother. I said, I want to start golfing. And then he goes, he started, he's very empathetic person. He started, uh, you know, going through the introduction and, and I knew he wants to say something. I said, say it. And he goes, I don't want you to get disappointed if you start golfing because it's not an easy thing. And then he started explaining to me. And I said, I said, no, I know I'm good at it. I practice in Dr. Daniel Rocker's home and I could hit the ball. So we were talking, it was a joke, but he was just saying that, oh my gosh, how, you know, um, meticulous you become you need to be in order to become a golfer and all of that so we were talking so uh talking I think, about that I think you can learn it I think you can learn it I mean even just seeing you shoot a little bit last time yeah I don't that's the cool thing about golf I don't think it's inaccessible to anybody when they pick it up I don't think it's like you have to be you know, a kid to learn it, you know, I mean, I think some things it, it serves you better if you start very young, but I yeah. think golf's cool in that way, but anyone can do it. And yeah, I think you can definitely do it today. Okay. Thank you for encouragement. <laughs> okay. We are going to go to another break, come back to continue our conversation. Shonbandegan Aziz, Radio Bamdad, Man Saideh Malik Afzali, Behamrah Dr. Rockers, and Dr. Anradi. Imruz dar khidmatun hasin, barnumamun be zabane ingilisiye. Aga sedaye mora az Radio Bamdad mishnavin be zabane ingilisiye. من و همکاران و دوستانم دکتر راکرز و دکتر اندرادی روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه از ساعت دوازده تا یک بعد از ظهر به زبان انگلیسی در مورد مسائل فرهنگی و روانشناسی صحبت میکنیم برنامه من هست Culture and Psychology و اگر کسانی هستن در منزل که فکر میکنین از برنامه ما استفاده میکنن به زبان انگلیسی خواهش میکنم ازشون دعوت کنین به برنامه Culture and Psychology در روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه از ساعت دوازده تا یک بعد از ظهر توجه کنم برمیگردیم و دنباله صحبتمون رو در مورد همدردی و شریک احساسات دیگری شدن برای اینکه بتونیم بهتر بهشون کمک کنیم صحبت میکنیم We're back with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade at Culture and Psychology uh, at Radio Bomdad um, from 12 to 1 o'clock on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, we are talking about uh, empathy. And if you just turn on your radio and you're listening to us uh, in first two sessions, uh, we each talked about our experiences working with patients and what is the difference between sympathy and empathy. And for the last part of our conversation, we continue this topic. I was wondering if judgment is related to empathy. And I guess uh, the way that I'm wondering about this is a lot of times, whether it's in therapy or life, sometimes we're trying to understand other people. Um, I see this a lot where people are trying to understand maybe their parents and the nature of relationships. 
And so that idea of, you know, uh, you mentioned Daniel filling with a person when we're trying to do that with somebody else, like our parent or, you know, a, a partner, as we're trying to understand their emotions and their experience, I think sometimes judgment comes in. And so we can feel upset or angry or hurt by that. And I guess I'm wondering if empathy is kind of suspending that judgment, for example, that, you know, our parent behaved in a certain way or reacted a certain way, and maybe being able to see some contributors to that and recognize how that's maybe impacted us. And so that we can have a greater understanding of that individual and allows us to maybe start to heal or to move forward or maybe to, to manage that relationship differently. I think a lot of times there's this idea that we have to accept that that's happened. Like, yes, this is who they are. And I think that doesn't, that doesn't feel as good sometimes as if we're able to recognize that as we can suspend the judgment and empathize, maybe what that person went through knowing their upbringing, that we were still impacted by the things that they did with us or towards us. And so, you know, how do we understand empathy as being a way of uh, understanding or allowing some understanding for those things that can happen without the idea that it has to be accepted or, you know, it just is that way. Um, yeah. Thoughts about that? Or how do you guys make sense of what I just said? Cause I'm trying to sort it out myself. <laughs> Partly. I, I think I know what you're saying uh, as a parent that I have raised my children. I see where you're coming from because uh, until I didn't have my own children and raising my own children, you always question things more so. But then when you go through parenting, as best as you can be aware of what you're doing with your children, which many times you are not because you're faced with so many things in life, stressors, work, you know, uh, all these other things that you're doing, a lot of times, maybe 100% of you might not be there or you're not thinking the outcome of things you do. But then you realize that being a parent is not that easy. So you kind of understand sometimes where their um, you know, issues may have come from, regardless even of their personalities, um, of their um, education level of their, you know, love and being there for you. It's just like, uh, you know, you are in a situation that at the same time, you have to make decisions, you have to respond, you have to do different things. So you sort of have a better understanding. It's just like any experiences in life that when you yourself have it, you can understand the other person's experiences better. Do you know, the way I yeah. see it is more like this. Let me ask along those lines though, a lot of times we can never be in that person's exact experience. And so exactly. there's still the need for empathy in that way. Like, cause we can never know what our parents went through, for example, but at the same time, you know, can we still empathize? I mean, I think in the work that we do, we, we talk to people from all kinds of different walks of life. Um, to know exactly what a person went through and to have gone through that same thing. Like we, we would only be able to work with a handful of people probably if that was like a, a prerequisite. Uh, so I guess it's, you know, for a lot of people, I think they struggle with the idea of like empathizing, even if we would never do that, or even if we've never been in that experience, uh, I think it's, it's tough for a lot of people in that way. No, I, I get that. Absolutely. Because um, many people don't have this opportunity to go through the uh, similar experiences. Uh, so definitely not the same because we each, even if we go through the same life situation, we experience things differently. But I'm just saying what you said in my experience, it just hit me when I became a parent more so to realize that there's so much into being a parent that all of a sudden you realize, wow, you know, you have to be attending to so many things uh, to, um, you know, pay attention to carefully. Even now as a psychologist, even before as an educator, 
when you experience something that you didn't have that experience before, uh, sometimes you make decisions that later you think about it and you go, oh my gosh, I wish I had done it differently, you know, because you're just hit by the flood, you hit by something. So I know exactly what you're saying. It's uh, just, yeah, it's, it's hard for example, if I'm talking to you, Alex, or Dan, and I'm expressing that, oh, parenting is this, that, it's hard to bring you to where my experiences comes from. You know what I mean? Uh, but obviously, we can talk about empathizing. We can talk about, you know, let's go back to the situation that they were at the time. Let's look at the culture. Let's look at the environment. I mean, you can talk about all these things. But um, it's harder, obviously, when you don't have that experience, you know. Yeah. And I think that's why for a lot of people, empathy feels tough in that way, because there's so many things that we're experiencing in our own life to be able to not set aside, but to incorporate as well as to allow ourselves to bridge that connection with another person and, and really be with that person. I think it's not so easy. It's tough sometimes in that way. And I think of empathy, again, that idea of it being a skill um, and recognizing that, you know, it's something that has to be cultivated, built and, and grown in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also there's a, an extreme stuckness in our culture at this point in terms of blame. And it's very popular at this point to see things that may not be quite right in the world and to seek who's to blame instead of seeking to understand. Mm-hmm. And those are totally different things because when we go down the blame path, and this is very popular today in today's culture, is to go down that path to blame. And then when we find that target is then to write them off wholesale as if they have no redeeming qualities whatsoever. And I don't think that's the right way to, for us culturally to move forward. Maybe it is the pendulum swinging one way, but we have to look at the ramifications. Any pendulum swing in the extreme is going to invite some pendulum swing in the opposite way. I think what we want to do is seek more to understand. So when we talk about things like parents, and I had this experience, I went through a lot of therapy to understand where my dad was coming from so that I could make sense of how I felt and those things growing up. And I thought, well, okay, I got as far as I could get. And then he passed away. But even since then, I understand my dad better now than I did before when he was alive. And not because of that, just because I've had time to reflect on it. And I can see times where he was making efforts that at that time I didn't recognize. Mm -hmm. If I had gotten stuck in the blame thing, which I did earlier in my life, and I think that's also a normal stage that we progress through and hopefully we keep going through it. But if I'd gotten stuck in the blame thing, I never would have reached that place of some compassion or empathy mm-hmm. for my dad. Absolutely. Gosh, you know, I think uh, age-wise, developmental-wise, as we go through the progression of uh, you know, development, at certain point, we look back and we definitely understand what happened even more, you know, because absolutely, as Dan, you were mentioning, I was just going through stages of life when you're young and your um, brain frontal lobe is not completely developed, you know, all you can do is blame, blame, blame. And even afterwards, you know, still you're going through development of your uh, life is span and uh, and you get to a point that you understand everything including your parents including your upbringing many things because you think deeper to in many ways you know and and then talking about empathy and sympathy you empathize more with them uh, with things that happen and and then you uh, you practice being less judgmental and, and just try to understand in their era, in their situation, you know, everything, you put everything more um, into perspective than before. 
and and you said something that really is true because the easiest way to get out of where you are stuck is blaming others rather than you know feeling responsible and saying you know hey you know people that the parents they kicked them out of their home when they were 9 years old and they were on their own from home to home and they raised themselves you don't, I mean, it, then you start comparing things and you start saying, wow, I was lucky to be at a warm home and I had, you know, ceiling on my head and, and I, I had food on the table. I mean, you know what I mean? You get to a point that you start thinking about all other people who have gone through their lives. I had a patient who, who was just saying, um, complaining about his father hitting him with the um, with the strap. And, um, you know, as we were going through, he was crying, he was a young person. And I said, how do you feel about your father? He goes, I love him. And it was just so interesting that he empathized with him, even as young as he was. And I said, tell me more. And he was going through explaining to me what kind of life he had. And, and it was very, very interesting that how that empathy can bring love to our life, even if we hadn't received love from that person. That was very touching, you know. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah. All right. So we are at the end of our program. I want to thank my colleagues, Dr. Alex Andrade and Dr. Daniel Rockers for a, a wonderful conversation. And I know there's always so much to talk about this. Uh, before we end our program, um, we want to go back and um, each of us say our final words, starting with Dr. Rockers. Oh, there we go. I, I, I was thinking, what could I say? And uh, yeah, there was that awkward pause. So uh, yeah, Daniel's jumping in there. You're taking off the hook, Alex. <laughs> Not a problem, man. Here's what I would say is think about where you're stuck. Think about where in life you are stuck and uh, what is one small step you can take on this very day to move forward on that, not to solve the whole problem, but in what way can you move forward from some stuckness? And the reality, I truly believe this, is we're all in some ways stuck in some places. It doesn't mean we're defective or bad or rotten or any of that stuff. It's part of this eternal growth process that being human means we're all growing, we hope. I like that, Daniel. I think uh, I would encourage listeners to kind of, as I, I mentioned at the last point there, that idea of judgment. Uh, I think it's so easy in, to, to judge and we don't, we do it sometimes in very subtle ways of comparing and contrasting ourselves to others, of comparing and contrasting to right and wrong versus just kind of allowing something to be. Sometimes these things are there in our, our life in a certain way. And if we look at them as right or wrong, that sometimes doesn't allow us to, as you said, take those steps forward. Uh, so if we can even just thinking of empathy is that idea of, you know, feeling with what is it like to feel with those others, or even in this situation, uh, the feelings that we have, uh, allowing ourselves that space versus just maybe jumping into action or a solution necessarily. I think it's really trying to be patient with ourselves, including with our emotions in that way so that we can maybe move forward in a, in a more intentional and a more thoughtful kind of way, both for ourselves and for others. And I want to say both sympathy and empathy are important emotions uh, in friendship, in communication, in all kinds of social relationship. Um, so, Having empathy and sympathy, because, I mean, there's nothing wrong with uh, sympathy. Uh, somebody loses, um, you know, a loved one, we always sympathize. Uh, empathizing, of course, is deeper, and we become more connected in a deeper level. Um, so it's a big part of being a real human being. And even in simple things in life, we realize we go, for example, shopping in a store, all of a sudden, one of the 
um, you know, person who works here, you ask a question, they walk with you, they help you to get something. Or if you have a question or if you have a problem with something, you know, you realize the difference between different communication people have with you in different parts of life. You sense it, you, you feel the difference between sympathy and empathy. Uh, but I wanna encourage our listeners, if you're listening, just remember uh, before we start, I was talking to Dr. Andrade about um, a psychologist who had a conversation in uh, one of the NPR sessions in uh, Hidden Brain. He was talking about empathy gym. And he said, like you go to gym to develop your muscles and, and to work out, try to develop your empathetic uh, uh, sense as a human being. And he called it empathy gym. And he says, in every skills that we gain and we develop, there's always working on it. And if we try to do that, we become better at it. And, and it just all of a sudden becomes part of us. So I want to invite everybody to think about that. And with that, I want to thank my uh, dear friends and colleagues, Dr. Andrade and Dr. Rockers, and thank for their presence in our program, Psychology and Culture. And I want to invite our listeners to listen to us on Saturdays and Sundays uh, at 12 to 1. Uh, and we come back next week um, with another topic. And I hope you have a wonderful week until we meet again.
ای دل چه ها کردی تو مرا با عشق او آشنا کردی پس از این زاری مکن حوث یاری مکن تو ای ناکام دل دیوانه با غم دیرینم به مزار سینم به خوابارم دل دیوانه به خوابارم دل دیوانه رادیو بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا